Today, we're going to talk about the key to amicable asset resolution or division. Don't you want to know what the key is? Divorce is triggering. It feels like a survival threatening issue. Asset division in divorce is particularly triggering. They are trying to take food off your table. They are trying to leave you and your children cold and naked on the street. Aren't you tired of feeling like there's not enough to go around and you and the mother or father of your children are gonna fight about it endlessly? When I, you, have high emotional intelligence and we have a grip and we know that this isn't survival, when we understand what drives them, we are now in a position to negotiate a much better division of assets. Welcome to another episode of Rich in Relationship. And today we're going to talk about the key. I'm going to talk about the key to amicable asset resolution or division. That's the topic today. What is the key? Don't you want to know what the key is? Aren't you tired of feeling like there's not enough to go around and you and the mother or father of your children are going to fight about it endlessly? This is the episode where you get to figure that one out. And it's like just about anything in life. It's simple. But God, if only it were easy. All right. And the key that we're going to talk about today is emotional intelligence in asset division. That's right. I want to give some context for this discussion. We're going to talk about emotional intelligence, but let's understand the backdrop of divorce and asset division. All right. The legal frame is conflict-driven by nature. The legal frame is created as a place to engage in conflict. And immediately when we enter into that arena, the legal arena, we're triggered. Most of us. Attorneys may not be triggered because they're in there all the time as professionals, but we regular people think, oh my God, I'm going to court. This is not something I do regularly. Or, oh my God, I'm going to engage in a legal dispute. That's not something I do regularly. And we lean into professionals to help us with it. And the reason why I corrected myself from court to dispute is our attorneys will tell us that 97% of all divorce is settled outside of court, which is true. But how is it settled? Is it settled on a scale of one to 10, 10 being Armageddon and one being absolutely reasonable? Is it a one, a 10, a three, a seven? I would argue for most people, divorce as an experience lands in the seven to eight range on average, as a conflict experience. And this episode is dedicated to helping you begin to identify the tools that you can use to bring it down to a two or a three. I think a one is ideal. A two or a three 
in a dispute resolution environment is pretty good. It means we're a little, maybe a little agitated, but we're not being run by our emotions. And that leads us to really what we're talking about today, which is emotional intelligence. What is emotional intelligence? Right, we all know what IQ is. IQ is your intelligence quota. It's how much brain power you have. And what, we, what do we know about people with high IQs? Actually, people with high IQs are not the most successful people. Studies show that financial success, at least, is more linked to people who have both IQ and EQ, which is emotional intelligence. In fact, the more balanced we are in these, the more likely we are to succeed in any endeavor in the world. So it's not necessarily about how smart you are. Success is not necessarily about how smart you are. It's about how emotionally intelligent you are. We all have the capacity for emotional intelligence, just like we all have the capacity for intellectual intelligence. Complete transparency. The way women's brains are wired, they're more in touch with their emotions and may have a higher aptitude for emotional intelligence, perhaps. And the reason is that men, the way their brains are wired, they tend to be more linear and women move around more, checking in with feelings, checking in with thoughts, checking in with all aspects of a situation. Whereas when men get on an emotional track, they tend to really dig a groove in there. But that doesn't mean that women are more emotionally intelligent than men. What it means is women are more emotionally sensitive than men. And emotional intelligence isn't about just about sensitivity. So sensitivity to emotion is an aspect of it. If we're gonna be intelligent about an emotion that we're having, or that we see that someone else is having. We need to be aware of it. Sensitivity leads to awareness. Women are hardwired for higher sensitivity. Men, on the other hand, are hardwired to compartmentalize better. As goal-driven animals, they have a tendency to go, oh, I'm having this feeling, but I need to get to the goal. But they'll compartmentalize and be less sensitive to the emotion. Each of these are components of emotional intelligence. One on its own won't take you there. It's sensitivity to emotion plus the ability to manage our own emotions, our own reactions that leads to real emotional intelligence, particularly when we're talking about asset division. And we haven't even touched on that yet, have we? So you're in court. You're not in court. That's 3% of the people are in court. You think maybe you might maybe be going to court. You're in a dispute negotiation through your attorney, or maybe you're in a collaborative divorce where your attorneys have agreed not to be too litigious. They're going to work together for the best results of the family. Or maybe you're in a less contentious environment, which is mediation, where one person, hopefully who is trained in helping people become more emotionally aware and manage their emotions at the same time, it's helping the two people to resolve the dispute. You're going to be in one of those three arenas. You're going to be in litigation, which is where the attorneys are fight as hard as they decide they want and need to. 
You're going to be in collaborative law where they're wearing gloves. They're not going to fight much. The gloves are the agreement that they're working for the well-being of the family, not just their client. The well-being of the family first, their client equal to that. Whereas in the first example, in litigation, they might take the, they will fight for, they have a license to fight for the well-being of the individual over the family. And then you have mediation where one person, a mental health practitioner or an attorney, is helping both parties to come to an agreement that both parties feel is in the best interest of the family. And they will have outside lawyers to validate any agreements that come out of there to, to look out for their interests. On a scale of one to 10, mediation is on the lower end of conflict. Collaborative law is in the middle and litigation tends to be more on the other end. However, in any of these environments, when you're talking about asset division, you have the potential to be even more triggered. Assets represent to us on the most basic level, the resources that we need to live. But because assets represent more than that, asset division can be particularly emotionally triggering. Assets being objects that you own jointly, money that you hold together, uh, any kind of financially grounded resource. Assets can come to represent unfulfilled emotions in the marriage. It's not unusual, for example, for one partner to be feeling like they didn't get their needs, emotional needs met in the relationship, and now they're being abandoned. And in their attempt to get that which they feel they did not get, since the other partner won't give them the emotion, they grasp for the asset as representative of the emotion, right? So assets, money is symbolic, is a symbol anyway. Money isn't, is, is something that we as, ascribe value to. The home, cars, dogs are actually considered assets, though I would consider them to be creatures. These are things that we might attach to emotionally, right? We're doing a, a couple of special workshops on asset division with a couple of expert lawyers. So look for those. And they come with a 20 some odd page workbook and all the things that you need to start to separate out your feelings from the assets and start to build this emotional intelligence. Uh, so I look, stay tuned for those workshops, look for them, look for them in social media. You'll see them posted in social media. And if you're looking at this podcast on YouTube, you'll see some shorts on YouTube, look for rich in relationship on social media, so subscribe or follow, and these will come up in the next week or two. And they are happening this month in February as I do this podcast. 
assets are not only representative of survival in terms of food, warmth, shelter, clothing, etc. They're not only representative of the future financial security we aspire to having for ourselves and our children, but they can also represent emotional, unfulfilled emotional needs. And this can make asset division particularly complicated. And thus, emotional intelligence is the key. Part one of emotional intelligence, as we started to talk about earlier, is being aware that those emotions are present. Having a sensitivity to those emotions. Now, if we're overly sensitive, the emotions take us. Let me explain what that means. Have you ever had a feeling so intensely that you just act from the feeling without thinking about it and maybe you regret it later? If you're in an automobile accident, for example, and you're still mobile, you're either going to go into shock and freeze or you're going to start taking action. I'll tell you a story. We were tracking down an electrical problem in our home a few years ago during the pandemic. And an electrician came over to work on it. Did something and a fire started in the house, 8.30 in the morning. And I'm a former fireman. All my training kicked in. First, I went up to the room where the fire was, put my hand on the door. It was hot. I knew, don't open that door. So firemen, you're trained, don't open hot doors. You let air in and you might have the, the flames come out at you. There's a word for it that I've forgotten. Next, knock on all the doors. Make sure everybody's up. Nobody was in that room, thank God, that the fire was in. Let everyone know there's a fire. Get them all out of the house. While they're doing that, who do I call? The fire department. Right? And there was this moment where I touched the door and I, I had to make a, a decision. Even though I, it was an intense moment, very emotionally intense, it was this like rapid fire decision. Do I, can I handle it or call the fire department? Call the fire department. So then I'm riding that emotion. And the, and the emotion is fear, fear for my family, fear for their well-being. Right? Just act, act. Now, that's an example of an emotion taking over in a crisis in a positive way. Now, imagine you're in a negotiation over assets. You're talking about dividing assets and you're having a survival level emotion like that kick in. You're going to start acting. But the problem is there isn't a real fire. Your brain has just perceived that it's a fire. It's perceived it as a threat. It's perceived it as a threat because they are trying to take away your livelihood. They are trying to take food off your table. They are trying to leave you and your children cold and naked on the street. They, who never gave you what you deserved in the relationship anyway, are trying to take that piece of stickly furniture that represents, and you're not going to let them have it. No, you're not going to let them have it, right? With the same intensity that I'm knocking on doors and driving people out of the house, you're saying, no, this is not where I'm defending. I'm going to secure my family. And then afterwards, you walk out and your attorney says to you, what the heck was that? And you go, I was looking out for my family to say, no, you weren't. You were being overly emotional. And then you start to chill out. The adrenaline comes down. And you go, wow, 
I was being overly emotional. It wasn't helpful. And you regret it, right? What happens is the part of our brain that manages fight, flight, or play dead kicks in, even though it's not a survival situation, and it takes over. That is the opposite of emotional intelligence. That is when you're at, your intelligence is locked down. Sensitivity to emotion can lead to that. Yeah? You get it? The answer is compartmentalizing that emotion, recognizing it for what it is when it comes up. You're in that negotiation and it comes up and another part of your brain says, whoa, is this really a fire? Is this really life-threatening in this moment? And, you're, and your emotions are saying, it feels like it. It really feels like it. And, you, and the other part says, take a deep breath. Take another deep breath. Maybe it says, it's time to step out. And you go, excuse me, I need to step, go to the bathroom for just a minute. And you go to the bathroom and you do whatever you need to reset. And then you come back in knowing that you're having an emotional reaction. And you think, where are they coming from? What's going on for them? Empathy kicks in. And you know what's going on for them because you just experienced it. They are having the same experience. This is what emotional intelligence is about. It's about having enough ability to compartmentalize so that you can think your way to empathy. You think your way to empathy and you start to imagine what it's like to be in their position. And you know what that feels like because you were just there. And maybe you have the emotional intelligence to say, hey, I know this feels really threatening, but I want what's best for our family when we're living apart. You are the mother slash father of my family. And I want to make sure that you are cared for because you will be caring for our children as well. And I know that you feel the same way about me. That would be high-level emotional intelligence. If only emotional intelligence just happened to us. If only it just happened to us. But emotional intelligence is like gym training, right? You go to the gym to make your muscles stronger and maybe to lose weight, maybe not. Maybe you're just interested in building strength, but you, the prime purpose of the gym is to become stronger, more fit. You go to the gym to become more fit. And when you go to the gym and you go on your own, you use the machines the wrong way. You lift weights incorrectly. Maybe you even injure yourself. And so when you go to the gym, you need a trainer or a coach. A lot of gyms provide roaming trainers to make sure you know how to use the equipment. Those trainers might even approach you about working with them on a regular basis to develop a regimen. They might ask you, what muscle groups are you looking to develop? What are you hoping to achieve? What does fitness mean for you? And you tell them fitness means six-pack abs. Fitness means flexibility. Fitness means having the energy that, to do anything I want whenever I want to do it, assuming I'm not 
absolutely tapped out from doing anything I want whenever I want to do it for hours and hours already. And the trainer will develop a program for you based on whether you want greater strength or whether you want to look good or both. And then they'll work with you once a week, every other week. In the beginning, they'll work with you every week. I've been to a personal trainer. Hope you've ever been to a personal trainer. Personal trainer will work with you every week till he knows your technique is correct. And then he'll let you out on your own. He'll work with you every other week, maybe once a month after a while, just to make sure that you haven't slipped into bad habits. Emotional intelligence is exactly the same. Why did I talk about the gym? Because emotional intelligence is about going to the emotional gym. That whole sequence I just described to you where you get that you're worked up and you say, excuse me, I need to go to the bathroom and you take a few breaths. That's something you learn in the gym and you come to a coach to learn how to do that. By the way, therapists, though they're great at unraveling Gordian knots of emotions and helping us figure out what the source of our fear was going back to our childhood, they're not mostly not trained in this. Coaches, relationship coaches in particular, are thoroughly trained in helping us develop our emotional intelligence. And the value of working with a coach who specializes in relationships is they know about emotional intelligence as a quadrant that you need to develop just like your physical strength, just like your spirituality, just like your intellectual intelligence, just like all the aspects of your well-being, just like sleep, diet, all of that. They know that emotional intelligence is vital. And they will teach you how to recognize where you need to develop emotional intelligence, particularly while you're going through a divorce. I'll tell you a story and then I'm going to wrap this up. This is one of my, my favorite examples from my clients. And I've told this story here before. So if you've heard it before, forgive me. You're walking down the street. Maybe you're looking at your phone or maybe you're looking at the sky and all of a sudden you fall into a hole. And you call out of the hole. And you go, wow, that was a hole. Brush yourself off and walk down the street. Next day, you're walking down the street. You're looking at the sky, looking at your phone. And a little boy says, you watch out. And you look down and there's that hole again. And you tiptoe around it and get back on your course and keep going. Wow, that was close, you say to yourself. I'm so smart. I'm really good at that. Next day, you're walking down the street, you look up the sky, maybe you look at your phone, and you go, hey, this is that street with the holes on it. You see the hole down there, and you cross the street, and you go down the other side of the street. You go, man, I'm getting really good. Next day, you're going to work, and you get to that street, and you go, why am I even going down this street? There's this hole. I don't need to spend all this energy avoiding it. I could go down another street. It'd probably be faster and easier. That's what emotional intelligence is about right there. Emotional intelligence is about first recognizing the hole that you've been falling into emotionally, maybe since you were a child, certainly with this person that you're in the process of dividing assets with. And it's about systematically building up your conscious habits first so that you become consciously competent at stepping around the hole, 
maybe crossing the other street and eventually becoming unconsciously competent so that you don't even think about it. You just go to another street instead of falling into that hole. That's what emotional intelligence is about right there. And that, my friends, 99% of the time requires an outside a set of eyes. But with that emotional intelligence, when you go into asset division, you won't fall into that hole anymore. With that emotional intelligence, you'll be able to negotiate a fairer division of assets. Now, I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, what about them? What about their emotional intelligence? That is the question we ask when we're halfway in the hole or about to fall in the hole or we're in the hole. It's like, gosh darn it, I'm in this horror and it's their fault, is what we say. It's their fault. So they have to change. I'm not going to do all the work avoiding the hole. They've got to stop pushing me in it. That's what they did. They pushed me in it. They didn't push you in it. You were walking down the street and you fell in it. And it's not our responsibility to change them. In fact, that kind of thinking is probably what led to getting divorced in the first place, if I'm really transparent. We can't fix or change other people. We do not deliver justice. We trust God, the universe, or the other person's unconscious mind, or all of the above to, develop, to distribute justice. Justice is not our job. Our job is to make sure that we are being our best selves. Our job is to make sure that we don't fall in the hole. And when that happens, when one person in a negotiation gets their wits about them through emotional intelligence. When one person does that, they can negotiate a much better settlement for themselves and their children, regardless of how insane the other person is. I'm going to say that again. When I, you, have high emotional intelligence and we have a grip and we know that this isn't survival, when we have that grip and we understand why they're as crazy as we thought they were. We understand what drives that. When we understand what drives them, we are now in a position to negotiate a much better division of assets, even if there's only six Ps to divide. That emotional intelligence helps us to not fall in the pit. And when we don't fall in the pit, they don't manipulate us. When we don't fall in the pit, they don't push our buttons or they may push them, but we don't jump out of the box. When we don't fall in the pit, we keep our eyes on the prize. When we don't fall in the pit, we see how the prize might be good for them. When we don't fall in the pit, we see how we might help them see the prize and not whatever it is they think we are. If they're really narcissistic on the other end, what we might be doing is we might suggest to them that they came up with this great prize and we don't really like it, but we'll settle for it if they do. Because narcissists are deeply invested in crushing us. And so we will give the illusion that they are crushing us. Narcissists are deeply insistent on being the originators of all good ideas. So we hand them the good ideas to originate. When we have a grip on ourselves, and we have an understanding of who they are and what makes them tick, we can frame the prize in a way that makes it attractive to them, and we will end up close to that prize or closer to that prize than we ever would if we allowed ourselves to fall in that pit. Is this making sense to you so far? I bet it is. I bet you're hearing this and going, oh, yeah, I've done that.
Okay, so let's recap. Divorce is triggering. It feels like a survival-threatening issue. Asset division in divorce is particularly triggering. As human beings, emotional intelligence is the tool that can help us to go through those triggering moments and keep everyone focused on what's important. What's emotional intelligence? It's sensitivity to emotion combined with the ability to manage our own emotions, not theirs, our own. And when we have sensitivity and manage our own emotions, we can become sensitive to their emotions and what might be driving them. And when we have that sensitivity of what they're feeling and what might be driving them through empathy, we can then begin to set up a framework, the ground, a strategy for reaching the prize, which is what's best for our family, whatever that might be. Emotional intelligence is the key to equitable and fair asset division. Stay tuned. We're going to keep exploring this topic of equitable and fair asset division for the month of February. And don't miss our workshops this month. Thank you so much. And have a wonderful tomorrow. Thank you.